Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and wait, who's that guy? Brian Haydad. He is back from a European vacation. He has once again graced us with his presence after weeks and weeks on uh, the lovely islands of Hawaii, where he was a scuba diver. Am I in Europe or am I in Hawaii? Both, both, man. It was okay. that kind of vacation. Wow. Yeah. Spent most of it on, a, on an airplane as well, apparently. Uh, apparently, yeah. Yeah, yeah but when yeah, it's a private jet, what difference does it make? Happening, you know? yeah. Hey, we're glad to have you along this afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business, internet, and phone bundle Backed by real support. See how Seaspire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Hey Dad, how was uh, how was your time off? It was great. It was great. Got to I just wanted to recharge the batteries a little bit. We're about to I mean we're a month away now from the start of football <laughs> season, so I just wanted to, you know, sort of deplug for a second, plug back in. Now I'm feeling great and I'm I'm ready to roll. You get those batteries that you plug into the wall, or do you have to like go back and get the? Uh, never mind. Sorry. Uh, yeah, my sense of humor didn't get any better while I, you were away. Apparently, I, I I hoped for the best, but you know you expect the worst. Yeah, but here we are. Uh, you did go to a high school football game, like real live tackle football, uniforms, yeah. helmets, shoulder pads, no two hand touch, in venerable Memorial Stadium. I did. Did. First time. I think we mentioned that since 92 I had uh, been in that stadium, and uh, it was something else to watch. You know, it, That's the first sporting event I've been to since MSU played Quinnipiac in baseball back in February, I guess. Or I guess uh, something, yeah, more, I guess I've been the last week of, of March before everything went to hell. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it was fun. My team got killed, but I could not have cared less. It's just great. Yeah, because I mean, I'm trying to think. So Mississippi State played that Tuesday, Wednesday in Biloxi against Texas Tech in baseball. Didn't go to that. And the SEC base, uh, basketball tournament was going on, and that right. never really got going. Right. So and Sunday so it would have been the the weekend prior. Yeah. With home baseball. I would have like seen March second, third, fourth, Miss. somewhere in there. Yeah, State Ole Miss would have played that Saturday. In men's basketball, and then there was a baseball game Sunday. I guess that was—I'm pretty sure that was Quinnipiac. And that's kind of yeah, crazy. Not been in a stadium since then. Yeah, yeah. So it was great. You know, maybe a thousand people there. They people were socially distanced. People were wearing masks. So that was all good to see. And uh, got to watch football. 
And you don't want to talk about the product on the field. I mean, we can talk. You said there wasn't any two hand touch. That St. Al defense might uh, disagree with you. They they were not putting a lot of helmets oh. on guys oh. uh, Friday night. It was rough. Taking was rough. shots at the alma mater. Hartfield, that, that's a good team though. That, I don't I, I don't know a lot about academy football, but they play pretty well. I hadn't really thought about that. The whole first time back in a venue, I guess. The last live sporting event I was at, I think it was Saturday, March 7th, if that sounds right, which would have yeah. been last day of the SEC basketball regular season, and it would have been yeah. Vanderbilt against someone. I don't remember who they played. Georgia or Texas A&M or, hey, who does it, it matters not. Right. But I guess that's the last live sporting event I saw. Wow. Mine's further back. Mine's the end of January. It was the day Kobe Bryant died. It was the last day I was in a stadium or a venue. That was a Pelicans game you went to, right? Uh, Pels Celtics. And that was January 26th. I hope I'm not getting that uh, incorrect. Yeah, January 26th. Sounds right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess the first one that I will see in person will be on September 26th. I mean, unless uh, unless we make a quick trip here in a couple of weeks down to Hattiesburg to uh, watch Southern Miss and their season opener against South Alabama, buddy, not a couple of weeks. Yeah, a it's week, a week from, from Thursday. Thursday. It's yeah, nine days away. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a week could change. So, yeah, that's um, that's on the horizon. Going to get here quickly, and hopefully, we get to that and get through it, and it uh, it makes sense. I, this is it is random. But as we look around and we hear college campuses everywhere, whether you're in Oxford or Starkville or Tuscaloosa or Auburn or College Station or Gainesville or anywhere in between, the topic is test positive, quarantine, isolate, dorms. Are they going to stay on campus? How long are they going to be there? What if we just completely stop testing for COVID? The CDC has kind of said that, at least for people that are not showing symptoms. They have said yeah. to stop testing them. That new, what uh, what new if you get sick, you out. stay at home, and if you're not sick and not feeling sick, you just go on about life as we know it, or knew it? You know, kind of like when you got sick in the past. Like If you got the flu, then you stayed home until you weren't sick anymore so that you wouldn't spread germs to everybody. And if you didn't have the flu, or you didn't think you had the flu, you went on about your normal life. Maybe you washed your hands a little bit more during flu season. I'm just thinking out loud. It's almost like, I mean, I know we got to have numbers and testing and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's like, we got to test more, we got to test more, we got to test more. What if we just stopped testing? And if you were sick, you stayed home. And if you were really, really sick... You either go to the doctor, you go to the hospital, and they take care of you, and then you get to go back home. And if you're not sick, you just go on about your life. I I know it's maybe kind of an out-there thought, and I'm sure there are people that are smarter than me that go, no, Richard, that's a really bad idea, and here's why that's a bad idea. But what we're doing is not working. Well, and you can go about your life and still protect yourself from spreading it or getting it, right? I mean, we saw that, and the models in Sweden look fantastic, by the way. I don't know if you've looked at that lately. There was no shutdowns over there, and it keeps getting better for them. They went about their life, and, you know, they asked people to social distance and stuff, but they didn't shut everything down for months on end. Um, You can still 
go about your life and prevent spreading it. You can go out to the grocery store, have a mask on, and wipe down your cart and not get close to anybody. You can go to a high school football game. I saw pictures from all over the place, people in the stands, but sitting away from each other. And you know what they did by not sitting next to each other? They didn't spread the virus to each other. So you can go about your daily life and still protect yourself and others from spreading this thing to each other. If you just do basic hygiene and not close talk like Seinfeld to each other. No. Morgan, you were in Florida, what, a week and a half ago? I was. What was the um, the ratio of people wearing masks to not wearing masks? Almost none, uh, honestly. Um, every place we went to, all the employees had it. I think it was a state order. Uh, there was one, uh, we went to an ice cream shop, Katie and I did, and they required them to go inside, but that was isolated to just that place. Yeah. But everybody stayed away from each other. You know, I mean, the beach wasn't packed. It's so funny when you watch the news and they they show images of crowded beaches, they make sure to stand on the side and point the camera down the beach. So Mm -hmm. if you were sitting where we were sitting all week, we didn't change spots. We went to the same spot and took a picture down the beach. It would have looked packed, but we weren't within 20 yards of anybody. So the, I guess the lack of people or whatever, but where we were, we never felt like we were in a a crowd of people are in an uncomfortable spot with a bunch of people not wearing masks. Like, everybody was avoiding each other. It was kind of nice. <laughs> That's right up your alley. Man, if I'm going Just to the beach... leave I, me alone. I, I, don't want, I, I don't want people on top of me at the beach, you know? If, if, if you're going to be around, it, spread out. And it was so nice because everybody just gave everybody else their space... But if some local news guy with nothing better to do would have gone down to the beach and used the right angle, it would have looked like it was packed. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I was just wondering out loud. By the way, programming note, uh, if everything works as it is supposed to, we are tomorrow afternoon at 4.37, so kind of midway point of the show, going to visit with Tate Reeves, the governor of the state of Mississippi. Kind enough to uh, jump on and talk with us. He's going to talk with us a little bit about uh, his executive orders, most recently, that affect college athletics, kind of how he came to that decision. Uh, I'll be interested uh, for him to kind of share the process that he went through with the uh, the universities in getting to the capacity decisions that they're going to deal with and kind of what he anticipates over the coming weeks and months. And I don't know, I'm not going to put him on the spot, but I I might float out that idea. What would happen if we just stopped testing? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's a terrible idea. Some of you agree, by the way, uh, on the ceasefire text line. David said it makes perfect sense. Derek says makes too much sense. Uh, somebody, Adam Borky and Baldwin, said Swedish models do look good. I think you mentioned Sweden. <laughs> um, they got a whole team of them. Larry and Jackson <laughs> says the residential construction industry has never participated and no one is sick. Just saying. What if we all went about life as we knew it? If you're vulnerable, protect yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi. Got two flags that the commission is going to choose from. We'll tell you about them next. Some people call me Maurice. So the nine people that are on the Mississippi Flag Commission have narrowed the choices from roughly 2,000 down to two. And on or before September 2nd, they will make... A final recommendation to the 
speaker, the lieutenant governor, and the governor, and that recommendation will be put on the ballot in November for a thumbs-up or thumbs-down vote. If there are more thumbs-up than thumbs-downs, then the flag that is put up for a vote will become the official state flag of Mississippi. The flag that ultimately is going to be on the ballot on November 2nd is going to be either the Great River flag, which we've talked about some. That's the one that is the uh, the blue flag. The, the flag in its entirety is blue. And in the center of the blue flag is uh, a crest. Kind of looks like a shield. And at the top of the shield, it's got a squiggly line going through it that represents the river. Above that is the star that has the stars broken into five fields and is representative of uh, the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. And in block letters below the crest, it says, In God We Trust. And that was the submission that came from uh, the graphic design company Old Try. Guys that have got ties to Mississippi now live and operate their company in the Northeast. That's a really solid-looking flag. The other flag, also a good-looking flag, is multicolored. The center section of the flag is navy blue. There is kind of a deep, uh, and I would say that that navy blue section takes up roughly half of the flag in the middle. On the outer edges of the navy blue is a vertical gold stripe on both sides, kind of a Kind of like an old gold, a deeper gold. Not yellow, but but true gold. And then outside the gold, so quarter on each side, is a vertical red stripe. In the middle of the flag is a white magnolia. It is wrapped on both sides by stars in kind of an oval shape. I don't think it's a true circle. I think it's more of an oval. There's a gold star at the very top, again, representative of uh, the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians and their history in the state. And at the bottom of the oval, the words, In God We Trust. So there were five flags that were still alive. The commission today voted to axe two of the five from consideration. They got the they got rid of the blue and red flag that has the state outline where you couldn't figure out if it was a Mississippi flag or an Alabama flag or a Louisiana flag or an Arkansas flag. That one, a really good removal. And then they also got rid of the royal blue flag that had the white magnolia tree on it. And that was the one that you guys referenced, what, Lord of the Rings or something like that? Yeah, the flag of Gondor. Uh, yeah, the flag of Gondor. That's what uh, how you were referring to it. So that one was thrown out. And then there was also the magnolia flag that had the white center that had the navy blue on the... Uh, the or maybe it was navy blue on one side and red on the other side. And they took the two remaining flags, and, and they'd actually... they had actual flags made up, and they ran them up a flagpole and watched them flap in the breeze and wanted to see what they would look like flying as flags as opposed to just graphic images. And liked how both of they looked. And so the flag commission will make its final choice between now and September 2nd and submit that. The winning design, as I said a second ago, goes on ballots in December. A simple majority vote will allow the new flag to become the official state flag. If not, 
we will press the rewind button to the beginning of the process and start over for a new design again next November. Uh, do you guys have an overwhelming preference, one or the other, of the two that are left? Wouldn't complain about either one. On the, the Magnolia flag, I, I wish there was one fewer color. Three colors should be the maximum on a state flag, but that's just me nerding out. Um, the Great River flag would be my preference, but if it's the other one, that's cool. Yeah, the, the Great the Great River flag is definitely the one that I prefer. Um, I've just I've just for whatever reason gotten uh, gotten behind it, and uh, that that's the one that if I had to pick, that's that's the one I, I would like. I'm a little concerned that we're, we're putting. Mm. Out, I, here's what I would have done. I would have I would have sandbagged this competition. I would have put like the worst possible option out there for the first run because I feel like the first flag to go out might lose. It's because there's going to be a lot of people who are still angry about the old flag, and there are a lot of people who just maybe don't like that flag whatsoever. And so if the Great River goes out, I think it's the best option. But I could see it losing and then it, it sort of thrown away, and we have to go down to the next option. I would have picked the worst looking one and said, "There it is." And when it was out, oh, we don't like that one, all right. But then the second time, maybe you get lucky. Strong agree. You, it could be the you, best flag in the world, and it would get the no vote coming up. Yeah, you, you are you're rolling the dice though. If you put out a bad design <laughs> and it happens to pass, because then you're stuck with it. So it, it is a roll of the dice. I completely get what you're saying. I had that conversation with a buddy of mine. He's like, I don't think whatever you really want it to be, or whatever you think the best design is, you roll out because again. There will be a significant number of Mississippians who are angry, period, that the old state flag is gone and are going to vote no for everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Going to vote no. And then the question is, okay, well, does everybody who was in favor of changing the state flag vote yes just so we can move on? And if that turns out to be the case then the flag, whichever one it is that, that is up for election, will be the new state flag. But if you have people, some who vote yes, say, I would have voted yes for anything, some who really like one or the other design, or neither design, and as a result vote no, those will go into the side with the people who are voting no regardless, and again, it could be back to square one. Got to play the got to play the political game sometimes. Got to play the politics. So. Yeah. Oh. To me, and I know we've talked about this. And if you look at the Great River flag today, you you might not look at that and go, you know what? That screams Mississippi. And you're right. Symbolically, there are a lot of things that are representative of Mississippi that went into the making of the flag. But I've heard people say, oh, it looks like the logo for Union Pacific Railroad. Or, oh, it looks like the Captain America logo. Or what, whatever. It's not about whether or not today that is immediately recognizable as a symbol of the state of Mississippi. It's about, can you put something up that really looks good? That over the course of the next decade or the next three decades becomes singularly representative with Mississippi and, like, creates brand identity and there gets to be a point where that's recognized as Mississippi's flag in the same way that Colorado's flag with the sea is is recognized or 
what is it, Arizona that's got kind of the rising sun on it, or the the is it Montana that's got the the bison on the flag? You know, one of those that just stands out. Tennessee's flag, very recognizable. Texas's flag, maybe the most recognizable flag outside of the American flag in the entire United States. And there is little good good luck finding a Texan who doesn't own something. A flag in their front yard, a license plate, a shirt, a belt, a hat, a something, a coffee mug that has the Texas state flag on it. Texans love the state flag of Texas. Texans love everything about Texas, if we're being real. Um, Or most things about Texas. There's some Texans that don't like Austin as it exists now and whatnot. But anyway, the barbecue in Austin is pretty sweet. I don't care who's running the city. Yeah, fair enough. So that's uh, that's what's going on on the uh, on the flag front. Are you doing a uh, a new flag poll, Borky, for the Twitter? Yeah, I think I'll do one. I just uh, I, are I you weary of flag polls? I'm weary of flag polls, but I think at this point most people have moved on and are like, you know what, it's over. The other one's not coming back. So you know, I still don't understand. And we get the question, and, and it's exactly right. Why it couldn't? It, this seems so simple to put them both up there. And then pick one or the other. Going through this process, I was talking to a buddy earlier. I mean, it could be years before we have a new flag now. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, I'll do one. Shaq Bully. I must have missed the part where trying to describe what a flag looks like on the radio has to do with sports talk. Okay. California's got the bear on their flag, somebody points out. Darren and Jackson says, why didn't they come up with another flag, then give the choice the old flag with the new design, where they scared the people would vote to keep the old one, my old one is still flying. All right, good for you, Travis. Uh, yeah. Do that. Yes, yes, Travis, I, I do think that that was a concern. That if the old flag was put up as an option, that it could potentially be voted in. Yes, I, I 100% agree that that was a concern. Sports Talk Mississippi. Be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Tuesday afternoon. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line for the first time today. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Wesley Owen is an associate athletic director at Ole Miss and is the chief revenue officer, and part of his responsibility is to uh, oversee the entire ticketing operation for all the sports at Ole Miss, and that obviously has presented some pretty unique challenges over the last few months. Wesley, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. I I texted Keith Carter yesterday and said, hey, I'm going to need you to explain this ticketing policy to me. And he said, yeah, Wesley Owen has been working on that day and night. He would be far better suited to uh, try and make that make sense. Yeah, uh, definitely has been planning for a really long time. Had a lot of different scenarios to work through and we definitely put in some some work to to come up with this this plan. So we've kind of been looking at these as they've come out. I think Alabama had a, at least part of their model that came out last week, and Mississippi State made an announcement about game day operations last week and then said they would follow up with a ticketing plan, and Southern Miss has been kind of doing their thing. 
what I saw yesterday that, that you guys released for Ole Miss seems like it's a different policy than pretty much anybody else that we've seen kind of release. You're going to do individual game tickets as opposed to groups of games or a season ticket that covers everything. How did you arrive at the idea that this was the best way to go about it? Yeah, so we meet with all of our colleagues across the conference every other week, and we all discuss our plans and and talk about the direction that we're going. And, you know, whenever we looked at season tickets versus single-game tickets or plans and all that, the single-game option just gave us the most flexibility so that if anything changes uh, month-to-month, that allows us to increase or decrease the amount of fans that we have at game. And also, it gave our fans this, this year, if they just didn't want to come to one of our games, they could just select the games that they wanted. And also, that may allow other fans who may not qualify for tickets, if we would have done season tickets, they would be able to possibly uh, be able to get in on one of those games. So I, know, I don't know if you saw Michigan's model, but they're kind of doing the same thing to where they're doing individual games. And it, overall, whenever we looked at it, it was the most fan-friendly in the terms of allowing the most fans to get into the venue, to possibly come into the venue. And for, so that we could, you know, we get into November, all of a sudden we can have 50%. We're not locked in at certain seat locations um, at 25%. We can just go ahead and pivot and work our way up to 50% on the next selection. Wesley Owen visiting with his chief revenue officer at Ole Miss and uh, overseas ticketing operations as uh, part of his responsibility. One of the things that the release yesterday and the, the OleMissGameDay.com webpage describes is um, selection waves. What does that mean? How, how do you become part of a certain wave that has the opportunity to select tickets? Yeah, sure. So like we do our seating for everything else, it's all about priority points. And so by red priority points, we will, well, we have different, uh, levels of points. So let's say you have 5,000 priority points. You may be in the first wave, whereas, and you'll have, you know, two to three hours to select your ticket so that you have priority above the person who has 500 priority points. But we basically just have different thresholds that, uh, make their way throughout the week. And that will indicate whether, you know, that's when you select. It's just based on your priority points. And like I said, that's that's really how we've always done all of our seating is your priority points dictate, you know, when you get to select or where you get to select. So it's kind of just falling in line with that normal uh, process. So if if you're at the top of the priority points list, and, and to use your example of, of 5,000 gets you in the first wave, the, the first selection happens, I, I think it's September 8th for that September 26th game. And then at the end right. of September, you'll be able to select if you want to get tickets for the two home games that are in October. D- does it start at the exact same point where, you know, priority point 5,000 guy still will be in that first wave and having the opportunity to select for those next two games as well? Yes, that's correct. So we would maintain that priority uh, threshold. Uh, throughout those three selection periods, the one that's in September this month and the one that's in the end of October and the one that's in the end of November. Okay. So so in terms of priority, that will the, the line restarts each time. It, that's do, right. you, do you feel like, or, or based on conversations that you've had with ticket holders, 
Do you have a sense as to how deep you will be able to get in terms of people who had purchased season tickets as to whether or not all of those people will be able to at some point go to a game this year? Yeah, so this will kind of get somewhat of an idea. There's no perfect science just because ultimately we don't know who's going to opt in for what games and the quantity. But just as an idea, we looked at it, and if every person bought eight tickets that currently have season tickets, we would get down to the person who has 300 priority points. You and I both know that not everybody that has more than 300 priority points is going to order more than is going to order the full amount of eight tickets. So we feel confident that we may be, we think that we're going to be able to help the majority of our fans be able to come to a game. And obviously, with this single model approach, you know, whenever you bought season tickets in the past, you kind of chalk one game up because you have a way to go to or a baseball tournament or something that that comes up that doesn't allow you to go. So that's another thing that we think that you know. Some games may have more availability, whereas other games don't have any availability just because of the, how the weekend works out. There's single-game pricing, and I guess at first glance people might look at the price of tickets and be like, holy cow, that's expensive. Right. But it's different this year because you're not making a donation for the entire season for, for your seat. Is that accurate? Yes, that's right. So basically we just prorated it out, um, what your donation would be. So I'll use Section A as an example. Um, if you have um, a $50 donation right there, we have five games, so the donation is $10. So we just prorated it out to where you're just paying it on a single game basis, but the, the fan doesn't necessarily see that because we're just going to use one ticket price. Um, but, yeah, we'll have those prices are just basically prorated out based on what they would have paid for the donation for that seat. So under most circumstances, if you look at what you would have paid for a parking pass and a season ticket in Section A, it's actually it's $600 is what it ends up coming out to. $400 for the ticket, $50 for the donation, and then uh, the, the $10 for the other side. Uh, so whenever you also look at your – if you go to all five games and you sit in Section A, it comes out to $600. So hmm. it's really – you know, you're seeing it as a larger number, but whenever you're you're normally just paying it, it's broken out into separate items of, between donation, parking, and tickets. So that's why it seems like a bigger number, but ultimately you're paying somewhat the same as you have in the past. Wesley, what about the student section and, and the way that's going to happen? Is the band going to be there? Are they going to be spread out? How are you going to spread students out in that north end zone? You know, so a lot of these decisions that are made, we kind of have a split of where the decisions are com- coming from. Some are SEC decisions, some are state decisions. This is one of those things that I think that ultimately will be an uh, SEC decision as to what happens to the band. Um, so we really don't know right now about the band uh, or cheerleaders. Uh, we think that there will be some direction from the SEC just so that everybody's uh, on the same page. But regarding the students in general, um, with a student section of about 10,000, a little over 10,000, we anticipate being able to sell around 2,500 uh, season tickets to students. We're going to do them on a game-by-game basis as well. Um, and we're going to, at first, do it by class ranking so that seniors will have first priority on those. But we plan on doing those and having some that seats are like in ones, twos, and fours. So there's somebody living with somebody. They can still sit together because we didn't want to take, you know, everybody in there has to be one person and then six feet from the net. 
because we do realize that people will part with each other if they live together or they're, they've been together from the start. So we'll have some uh, basically pods of seating that students will be able to go to and that will be designated as places that they can sit. I'm just curious, only about a minute left. How many different models did you go through or have you gone through over the last three or four months in trying to kind of prepare ultimately to re- release this information? You know, I don't know an exact number. I'd be interested to, to look that up. But there no less than 50, <laughs> for sure. Uh, wow. Thinking about all the different options, like you said, we went towards a different model, but there's other models out there that are three-game packages, two-game packages, season tickets, and just then looking at the revenue model and how we can help the most fans and just looking at every piece of what the benefit is for that model, and that's why we arrived at this one, but no less than 50. But I, I need to get that exact number. Wesley, with the way the stadium spaced out, only 20 or so seconds left, I know only 15,000 people when it's all said and done, but with the way it's spaced, if all 15,000 people show up, is it going to look semi-full? Eh, it's going to look about like what I feel like it's going to be a like a growth ball or something like that. You know, it's not going to. It's going to seem pretty empty at twenty five percent. I think. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, helping us make a little bit of sense of this, and uh, hopefully that's information that's helpful to Ole Miss fans as well. Appreciate your time, Wesley. Yep. Thank you. That's Wesley Owen, Chief uh, Revenue Officer. Associate Athletic Director at Ole Miss joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. So interesting conversation there with uh, Wesley Owen, who is over ticketing operations at Ole Miss, Chief Revenue Officer uh, in the Athletics Department. Last thing he said, uh, said he didn't know exactly, but expected that they had gone through over 50 models to figure figure out a ticketing scenario that would work and would be most beneficial to the most fans. And, hey, Dad, I've got to believe that that's the process that happened in Starkville and happened in Tuscaloosa. He referenced Michigan back when Michigan thought they were going to play football, so the process they were going through in Ann Arbor and in Clemson, South Carolina, and at all points in between, I can't imagine how painstaking a process this has been. To be honest, 50 felt low. I I was surprised it was just 50. I thought he he could have said 100, and I would not have been uh, completely surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, and there are obviously a lot of schools, Mississippi State included among them, that aren't, you know, 100% sure of what they're doing yet. So they're still running through models and things of that nature. Yeah. And uh, what, when we got the, the game day operations released from Mississippi State mid late part of last week, mm-hmm. it was ticketing information coming soon. Right. So you would think that, you know, at some point this week, early next week, they'll be ready to kind of roll out that plan as well. We saw uh, last week what Southern Miss is doing. Uh, where they're going to be able to accommodate all of their season ticket holders and the section in which your season ticket resides is the section in which you will sit, but you will not have assigned seats. They will have it broken up within sections, and you'll socially distance in each section. Um, Not necessarily going to be told where to sit, kind of a first-come, first-served 
uh, basis there in uh, in Hattiesburg for an attendance of about nine thousand. I'm sorry, a capacity of about nine thousand for uh, for that. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how all of this plays out. And and like any decision, when you put it out there, you're going to have critics immediately. But I think oh, what yeah. people, I, I think, and I hope what people understand is even if you don't love the the solution they came to, you can at least find some solace in the fact that hundreds of hours were spent on the plan putting it together to get something out there that felt like it would work well for everybody. What are you talking yeah. about? They're being reckless and irresponsible. I was going to go the other way and just be like, yeah, it's, it's not like they just you know said, okay, start at the top of the donor list, and when you get to 15,000, stop. That's the last guy who gets in. Yeah. No, didn't uh, didn't exactly uh, play out like that. Ceasefire text line open 601-879-4395. Uh, Jason says, Cross, Borky, hey, Dad, anyone? When's the governor coming on? I've got to step out, but don't want to miss him. Tomorrow. I mean, we don't want you to step out and miss anything today, but uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, Governor you got time. Reeves. You've got time to run those errands. Yeah, you, you you can run to the restroom and get back in time to uh, join us at four thirty tomorrow afternoon for our conversation with uh, Governor Tate Reeves. There you go. Yeah, okay. Let me try to explain myself here and see if it can make sense. Because on the ceasefire text line, I must have clarification. Did Richard just ask the guy with fifteen thousand fans all spread out? Is it going to look semi full? Is that what Richard just asked that guy? Yes, it is what I asked. But here's the rationale. I've been to an Ole Miss football game in the current stadium where there were between, oh, I don't know, let's just say there were 15,000 fans there. I'm thinking specifically of Northwestern State years ago. That was at the end of the, was that the end of Houston Nutt or the end of? That was the end of Ed Orgeron. End of Ed Ogeron. That was the yeah. we can't do this anymore game. Yeah. There are about 15,000 people there. That even might might be aggressive. But the 15,000 that were there were concentrated kind of between the 30s on the east side and on the west side with just a scattering beyond that. Nobody in any of the corners up high or down low. Basically nobody in either of the end zones. And it just looked horrific. The, the point that I was making in is if 15,000 people actually show up, so all 15,000 that are allowed to show up do, and they are spaced equidistant throughout the stadium where you don't have, you know, 10-yard-wide swaths from row 1 to row 60 where you see nothing but metal bleachers. If it's going to have an appearance that makes it look a little more full than 15,000 people concentrated in like six of the 30 sections. That's all I was getting at. I know that 15,000, when you're talking out of one out of four seats being full, is not going to make the stadium look full. I'm just curious if it's going to look a little more full than at first glance we would think it would. 
You can still think that's dumb. Wouldn't be the first dumb thought I've ever had. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Shut up. Hey, Dad. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, and Brian Haydad on this Tuesday afternoon. Time for us to go back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. I want to play something for you as we begin our conversation with Ryan Brown uh, from WJOX in Birmingham. Ryan, I know this is not something that is foreign to you. It was Nick Saban yesterday. And I want to get your reaction and the reaction you guys had on the show today to uh, what Nick Saban, head coach at Alabama, said in his post-practice press conference yesterday. Here it was. This is about the players. All right, when it comes, it's not about. We're, 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 it's not about everybody acts like you know we want to play for the money. We want to play for the players. I want to play for the players. We have a lot of guys on our team that can create a lot of value for themselves by playing this season, uh, and. Um, we can create a lot of value, and these guys have worked very hard to try to create and accomplish something as a team. Uh, so, you know, all those things to me are important to the players, and I want to play for the players. I, I know it's important to the fans. I love our fans. I love the way they support our team. They're a part of our team. Uh, we want them to continue to be a part of our team in whatever way that they can. Right? But this is really about providing an opportunity for the players if we can do it in a safe way. So, Ryan Brown, that was yesterday. I'm sure this is something that you guys talked about uh, earlier today. Your reaction to what Nick Saban had to say and whether or not that struck a chord with anybody. Oh, it did. And and I think it's genuine in that because the point I made today is, you know, Nick Saban won't lose. If, if Alabama football doesn't play it down, the only dime Nick Saban will lose will be voluntary. I mean, Alabama's not going to go to him and mandate a pay cut. He, he could, if, if he chose to, he could get paid every dime he's, he's due from Alabama and nobody will bat an eye, and it wouldn't hurt his job security. So I genuinely believe it's not about the money for him. And, in fact, if he went this year and didn't get paid, he's probably fine. Um, now, he's speaking for himself, and he made that clear there, I thought, you know, uh, when he said, you know, to me, yeah, I mean, if you look at the macro, the bigger picture for the school, it is about money. I mean, Alabama and Ole Miss and anybody else, they don't want to take a $100 million loss like Ohio State's saying they're about to do. I, I don't think anybody's lined up for that. So, you know, maybe from the school point of view, yeah, it's about money. But I, I genuinely believe Nick Saban when he says that, that for him it is about the players and the opportunity. And, I mean, I think he'd be lying if he didn't say he wants to play because he's got a competitive edge. He loves coaching and loves, you know, to – to win games and win championships and try to improve players. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that at play, but I, I, I felt like he was being pretty genuine there. For the Big Ten and the Pac-12, it feels like the hits kind of keep on coming and kind of feels like they took a haymaker from the college football playoff committee with the announcement that, yes, they are going to have their meetings and they are going to have their rankings and the plan as we go into this season with the SEC, Big 12, ACC, American, and a few others playing is to have a college football playoff at the end of the season. Do you look at that the same way? Like, fine, you guys do whatever you want to, but the college football world is not stopping just because you shut down. Yeah, and, and I can't, you know, I think the Big Ten thought it would. I don't know how to follow the Big Ten because that's what they do, but I think the Big Ten thought it would. I think Kevin Warren and the Big Ten presidents thought we'll be the leader here and we're the Big Ten and everyone will follow. And I think they were probably genuinely shocked when the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 and Conference USA, Sunbelt, American didn't follow. 
And I'm not surprised by this announcement. And, and if the Big Ten is, they're dumb because, I mean, the whole reason we have a college football playoff is because ESPN's willing to pay to put it on TV. If nobody put it on TV, we wouldn't have one. Well, ESPN pays the college football playoff for two dates, for January 1 and for whatever day the championship game falls on that year. Mm-hmm. And ESPN's expecting games then. So, I, I mean, what's the college football playoff supposed to do? Tell ESPN, no, we'll give you some games in May or April, we think. We don't really know. I mean, this is the only decision the college football playoff had because ESPN's the reason they exist. It's a really good point. Ryan Brown from WJOX Jocks in Birmingham on your radio. Always enjoy our conversations. Um, outbreaks on campuses. They're, they're happening everywhere. They're happening in Tuscaloosa. They're happening in Auburn. Uh, I know people are in a tizzy about bars being shut down for a couple of weeks in Tuscaloosa. Do you think ultimately that the inevitable, it was inevitable, spike in cases that is happening right now, on college campuses all across the Southeast has an effect on whether or not we're playing on September 26th, or is football now operating in a pseudo-bubble and it's going forward, damn the torpedoes? Uh, I think there, I, I can't speak for every program in the SEC. You would know better about Ole Miss and Mississippi State than me. But I can tell you Alabama and Auburn are operating in as much of a bubble as they can. Players, by and large, if not entirely, are taking online classes. And they're going to practice, they're going to meetings, they're hanging at the football complex, they're eating their meals, and they're being strongly encouraged to go back to, to their apartments or their dorms and limit contact. And by and large, I think you look at the numbers and the testing numbers, and you see that Alabama and Auburn players are doing that. Um, I can't speak for the rest of the conference teams, but I would highly doubt Alabama and Auburn are doing that independently. So... They're operating in as much of a bubble as, as they really can. And I, honest to goodness, Richard, I thought this was the only way to pull this off, yeah. was to have the players on campus and take the uh, take the classes remotely. And, you know, pretty soon, maybe everybody's taking classes remotely. I don't know. I know Texas started, I think, with 77% of their instruction was remote. So uh, I, the, Alabama and Auburn are pretty much in a bubble right now, and the testing numbers show. And as long as their players are willing not to go to the bars, which now they can't, or go to the house parties, which <laughs> the, and listen, Tuscaloosa Police and, and University of Alabama Campus Police say they are going to enforce the student activities ban as well, and they're going to break up house parties. So they are serious about this in Tuscaloosa, and Auburn will follow suit, I'm sure. Um, but the players, I think, have done their part. And I think you can read some of their reactions. Like Anthony Schwartz at Auburn has been very vocal on Twitter about this, and I think it shows you the players feel like they're doing their part and they wish the general student population would fall in line with them. It's got to be hard to be a college student right now. I mean, we, we yeah. had um, at our house last night for dinner, my, my wife has a cousin from North Carolina who is a freshman at Ole Miss, and she joined us for dinner and her roommate came over last night. And every class they're taking is online. Rush right. is virtual. And they're basically being told not to get out of, like, their dorm group. And then even within, like, dorms and pods of dorms, you've got people that are testing positive, and so they're locking people down. This is a tough time to be a college student. Well, and the kids you're talking about there, the college freshmen, also were deprived of their senior year of high school, which I don't yes. know about you, but when I look back on my senior year, that was one of the most fun years of my life. 
they were deprived of graduation, which, you know, the whole pomp and circumstance of graduation didn't do much for me, but knowing that it was the finality and seeing your friends, you didn't think you were seeing them for the last time, but as I look back now, there was people I saw, you know, and I never see again. I mean, they were deprived of that. And then you look forward to, boy, being a freshman and you're out from under mom and dad's wings for a little bit and you go live a little and all that's being taken away. I mean, I, I don't know what people expected, but given the opportunity to live a little bit and, and try to have some normalcy in our life, do we really think 18 and 19 year old kids weren't going to do that? If, if you thought they weren't, I think you're being extremely naive and you could kill them and criticize them and tweet out photos all you want, but let's don't pretend like we didn't ex- fully expect this to happen. I don't think this is surprising anyone. We were talking about this a couple of days ago with with the NCAA saying everybody gets an extra year. And far far be it for the NCAA to not take a long-range view and realize that this was creating problems that they have not yet addressed uh, with regard to roster management down the line. Just just giving seniors, you know, an extra year next year. I mean, come on. Gosh, unbelievable the way they do things. But Mac Jones, theoretically could end up as a three-year starter with significant playing yep. time in four years after not playing at all his first two seasons. Am I doing the math right on so that? Weird. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I know this isn't your question, but, you know, what does that do with the super-talented freshman Bryce Young? Yes. You know, already looking at the already looking at the prospect of perhaps sitting behind Mac Jones for a year now. You know, if Mac Jones has any sort of success, he'll have his degree, uh, I believe, by the end of this year. And, you know, I mean, if he's got any sort of success for a year and a half, two years, you know, he might eye the NFL. So three years might be overly optimistic. Or if Bryce Young is what everybody thinks, he could lose his job. And and Bryce Young could be the starter. And then Mac Jones could potentially have some eligibility to transfer should he choose to do so as a graduate transfer. So a guy like him, people that are in his situation – this is a great deal for them because, yeah, you've done the math right. And, you know, let's play worst-case scenario for Matt Jones. Let's say he's playing this year. He has a solid year. And then Bryce Young, given time to get the system, getting some mop-up snaps, beats him out mm-hmm. in the spring of next year and takes the job. You know, Matt Jones could transfer and have a couple of years left and would be a very valuable transfer. So, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, a guy like him, this, this plays perfectly for him. Matt Corral at Ole Miss could play in parts of six seasons and be a four-year starter. Well, that is crazy to think about. Yeah, that's it, great. We it talked really a lot is. about him on our show today. We talked a lot about him on our show today because we we did a poll question: Who do you think starts, Plumley or Corral? And Plumley ran away with it. And some of the Ole Miss fans of Birmingham said, "I think you guys are in for a surprise. Don't just yep. give it to Plumley yet." Yep, I think you're right. And and I always go back to you bringing that up. Uh, one of the last times I was on, I brought it up on the air many times. How surprised I was when you brought it up that. It was going to be more of a battle because I was kind of with 80% of our listeners. I thought this was Plumlee's job, and it was closed. Well, and the crazy thing about it is people watched what John Rice Plumlee did against LSU. And in your case, probably, I know you watch everything, but a lot of Alabama fans watched what he did against oh, yeah. Alabama and go, ran how can this field. not be the guy? Yeah, ran up and down the field. It was the only reason Ole Miss had, you know, any sort of offense in that game. So, yeah, I mean, I think people look at it and say, but boy, if Lane Kiffin can develop his passing the way he did Blake Sims at Alabama, who was a converted running back, um, at least this guy has played some quarterback. You, you, you improve his passing, and he's a heck of a dual threat. I think that's yeah. what people around here think, absolutely. Yeah. 
Ryan, always appreciate your time. Great catching up today, my man. All right, buddy. Y'all be good. Talk. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Ceasefire.com. Hey, Dad, we did something yesterday without you uh, because you weren't here, obviously. Obviously. And I would like to, it was, we were kind of talking about all this and kind of some different position groups, expectations related to some. And I said yesterday, once Hey Dad's back, we will do the exact same thing. We'll kind of walk through the different position groups and talk a little bit about what that means. For, for Mississippi State. So sure. uh, you, you weren't here yesterday. We talked about quarterback and kind of the battle between Corral and Plumley, and the fact that the running back room looks better than it has at Ole Miss collectively in a really long time. And, you know, who's going to emerge at wide receiver to help Elijah Moore? What's the offensive line? And, and, and so on. It was a rosier conversation, by the way, on the offensive side than it was on the defensive side as it pertains to Ole Miss. It's going to be the same here. Yeah. So, let's start with quarterback. Yeah. K.J. Costello expected by everyone to be the starter. Mm -hmm. You've had a chance to talk to Mike Leach a couple of times. There are other names that are being thrown about. Where are we in the quarterback race? Well, it's Costello's to lose. There's no question about that. It's just a question of who's the true number two. And, of course, with the NCAA stuff happening, you know, there's no, there's no wiggle room. You can, you can, you don't have to redshirt anybody. Or I guess everybody's getting redshirted. So, yeah, you know, you're going to see Garrett Trader. You're going to see some of Will Rogers. I feel like Jalen Maiden's the odd man out. Won't be surprised to see him uh, transfer out uh, when this is all said and done. Uh, and then, you know, Rogers is a guy that they seem to be pretty high on. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that means that, you know, because I think KJ Costello is is done at the end of this year. He's he's not a guy who would want to come back. His NFL profile is high enough. You um, think so? Yeah, I think so. So I, I think that you know next year it'll be between Schrader and Rogers, and uh, we'll just sort of have to see where that goes. But but they 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 like what they've seen from Will Rogers in practice. Well, let me press pause and ask you for a, a second. Then, if if you automatically assume that his NFL profile is high enough, why would he not have made the leap to the NFL this season after graduating from Stanford? I, I think that when I say it's high enough, it's high enough to be a a moderately high, you know, a day two pick. I think coming into a Mike Leach system and showing that you can make all of these throws and showing that you know, it's going to be played at Stanford. You know, they didn't throw the ball a whole ton there. I just, I feel like his, he's got all the tools. Uh, you know, he just needs to show that he can make a lot more throws than Stanford asked him to make. Yeah. I guess the flip side of that, now that we've seen Mike Leach quarterbacks have success in the NFL, Gardner Minshew and, and Luke Falk, guys that, uh, you know, Varying levels of success, but success nonetheless. Yeah. If this is a weird year, and any plays, I just wonder if KJ Costello might sit back and say, "Next year is going to be more normal. It'll be year two of the system. Theoretically, wide receivers will get better. 
and you'll add another recruiting class, man, I'm I might go from a third, fourth, fifth round guy to a first round guy if I go out here and throw for forty five hundred yards and forty touchdowns. Yeah, I I just think that he'll put up enough numbers this year that it it'll be time to go. And plus, I mean, as a grad transfer, how old is he? I mean, he's got to be 22, 23 right now. You're sort of cutting into your prime if you stick around too long. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Here's my, um, here's my question for the quarterback, just the last thing. The MSU single-season passing record is 3,793 yards. Dak Prescott holds it. Can they break it in 10 games? I don't know if they can or not, but I think it's going to be closer than you think. Hmm. It'll be 370 a game. Well, it's 600 yeah. for Vanderbilt and Arkansas, so all <laughs> they need is... But it's got to be one guy getting it, so I don't know how that's going to work. Oh, well, Leach isn't afraid to leave his guy in there and let him oh, no. run up some stats either. No, no truth, no doubt to that. Yeah. I mean, I guess in terms of balance, I mean, if you have three 500-yard passing games and you need to average 370 a game... Yeah, that gives you the chance to throw for 240 in three games and still yeah. be on pace. Yeah, you're right. So could be interesting. Yeah, it will be. That uh, would be wild. Breaking a passing really... record with two fewer games. Oh, well, three fewer games. Oh, yeah, not counting count a bowl. bowl. And yeah, then yeah. the two, well, and three all conference games. games. Yeah, three games yeah. you eliminated and all from the 12 yeah. are yeah. walkthroughs. Yeah. Mm. Um, beyond Kylan Hill in the backfield, yeah. Where does the production come? What's well, a, a production's an interesting word there because what are we talking about? Five carries. I mean, if they run the ball more than twenty times the game, I'd be pretty surprised. You got to figure Kylan's going to get fifteen of them. So you got four guys to carry the ball five times. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the, the the top guy is a true freshman there, Jaquavius Marks. Uh, you know, Lee Witherspoon showed you a couple flashes last year. Kareem Walker is the guy who came in late last year and was a, had to redshirt. Uh, he's a senior, so this is a, sort of his last dance, but there's just not a whole lot of room. Then you have Dylan Johnson, the other true freshman from uh, Greenville, Mississippi. I like Marks and Johnson. I like Witherspoon, but I mean, who, who, there's just not any carries for them. I, I just don't see how they're go- between those four guys, they're not going to combine for more than five or six carries a game. You know, a number of plays you're able to run offensively really is predicated on whether or not you're able to get first downs. Yeah. I mean, people go, oh, they're playing fast. Well, okay, playing fast is one thing, and that lets you run a lot of plays, but you've got to be able to move the chains to be able to rack up plays on drives and then ultimately rack up plays in games. So I mean, you think average 70 snaps a game, maybe 75 Something like that sounds right. I'd have to look and see what Washington State averaged under Leach. But, yeah, 70 to 75 sounds about right. And you think the ratio in 70 plays a game is 50 passes and 20 runs? Probably, yeah. If I had to just just thinking it out, yes. I mean, look, you, you, you can talk about Mike Leach and the air raid all last, the time. But when you start breaking year, it down like that, it, it kind of becomes real. The ball last is going year, to be in the air constantly. Last year at Washington State, it was 55-16. They averaged 71 plays a game. Wow. With Minshew there, let's go back to the 18, it was uh, 52-21. Hmm. 
So yeah, it's going to be about twenty running plays, and and Kyle so, yeah. Hill, I guarantee, would get fifteen of them. So yeah, you got four guys to get five carries. And, and in the last, so in the last two years, you've been looking at seventy-one plays a game and seventy-four plays a game. So yeah, you're in that seventy to seventy-five plays per game, and about fifty to twenty uh, in terms of pass to run. So yeah. that's uh, that's fascinating on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. For this offense to work. K.J. Costello is going to have to have some level of protection. I know it's get the ball out fast. I, I understand that. you got to be able to protect your guy a little bit. Yeah. They're going to be able to? Yeah, I think so. I like this offensive line, actually. They, they've That's one spot where they've recruited really well the past few years. Uh, they've got a couple of transfers in that I think are going to be either starters or, or good depth guys. And, you know, the anchor of that, and maybe not the anchor because you, you think that would be a veteran, but you've got the five-star kid, Charles Cross, who was the nation's what first or second-ranked offensive lineman, depending on where you looked. Uh, he's ready to go. He's going to be the starting left tackle. That'll be He'll be the guy project, protecting uh, K.J. Costello's uh, blind side. You've got uh, Scott Lashley, the transfer from Alabama, Cole Smith, the transfer from LSU, Dorian Parker and Greg Island are a couple of guys who've played a lot of games for Mississippi State. you got another highly touted kid, uh, Quatravius Johnson, Dollar Bill, who uh, is looking like he might end up being a dollar, starting dollar, out. dollar bill? What a name! But you say that it's it's dollar though. Don't don't he, he will correct you. There's an R in there. Dollar. Oh, if bill, you say dollar instead of not, dollar, it's not dollar bill. It's dollar bill. Yeah, he will say something. Love it. Uh, but yeah, could you just call him George? <laughs> <laughs> I can't call him KJ either because there's already one on the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the state's got good guys up front. They've got some depth. I didn't mention LaQuinston Sharp, who played a lot last year. Uh, they've got some guys there. I feel good about the offensive line. Tight end. What? Those don't exist anymore. Not a thing. Not a thing. Isn't that the position that Powers Warren plays? He's a wide receiver now. He's now a wide receiver. Like the 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 position tight end is not on the roster. If you look at the MSU roster, the capital T, capital E is not on there anywhere. Jeez. There is a new sheriff in town. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll go through the same exercise with the defense when we come back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, Tuesday afternoon with you. Kind of walking through the position groups at Mississippi State and just getting some, you know, a weekend of practice. Have they had a scrimmage yet? No, I think they're having one Saturday, but I, that's not confirmed. Okay. Um, Kind of walking through position groups and talking about what it feels like you're going to see and where strengths are and where weaknesses are. So far, every single position group that we've talked about has been a uh, a point of strength for Mississippi State. Kidding, hey, Dad. I mean, I feel, the three we I, talked about, I feel good no, about. Quarterback, running back, O-line. You want to talk yeah, about the receivers we, now? Yeah, we need to talk about receivers. Um Hey. Because there are no tight ends. Borky, have you got the tight end clip? Can we can we play that before we get into the uh, receiver thing? Yeah, just give me uh, one second here. All right, so Mike Leach talked to members of the media about a bunch of different things, and he described the whole wide receiver tight end thing. Let's hear what he said. Well, they're not really wide receivers. They're tighter receivers, but they uh, 
No, they do a good job. I mean, uh, both of them, both of them, when they play their best, uh, you know, they're not coverable, really, you know, and both are strong enough to uh, move the defenders around a little bit as they're running their route and, you know, turning their body into somebody and uh, making a reception, and they're always a little bit open. And uh, <clears throat> Brad's got really good hands. Um, and then, uh, you know, Spivey's just so... Uh, uh, you know, it's just such a big body out there, you know, and uh, uh, and like I say, it moves people around. I, I'm excited about both of them. I'm excited about both of them. I'm excited about the aspect to have uh, big guys out there. Guys like that uh, uh, in the past were playing DN for me, but uh, we had enough DNs here, so uh, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a, a luxury and one that I think is uh, going to be really good for everybody. How about that description at the end? Okay, you start out with, well, they're not wide receivers. They're just like tighter receivers. They just go down and turn around, and they're usually somewhat open. That's good. And then he says, yeah, big body types, usually I just made those guys defensive ends. But we got enough of those, so yeah. we'll leave them where they are. Co- Kobe Jones, defensive end, 6'4 and 260. Uh, Brad Cumbus tied in 6'5 and 245. So, I mean, not, mm-hmm. not a huge difference there. Not a ton of difference. Not a ton of difference. How big a role do you think those guys will play in the offense? Well, I mean, it's just going to be who catches the football. I mean, the, the receiver situation is is so interesting in Mississippi State. And I, I've brought up those stats a million times that Osiris Mitchell, who was State's leading receiver last year, would have been the ninth leading receiver at Washington State. You know, you look at State's roster and – there's a ton of wide receivers on it. Of, of the 105-man roster they've got online here, 26 of them are wide receivers. Of that 26, six to seven of those guys are going to catch 40 or more passes. And only one of them did last year. So I don't know who those guys are going to be. You know, Will it be Osiris Mitchell again? Probably. I would imagine he'll get first crack. Austin Williams and Javante Payton, who were here last year. Tyrell Shavers, the transfer from Alabama. You know, a couple of Juco guys, Malik Keith, Caleb Ducking, a couple of true freshmen, Tulu Griffin, you know, Rufus Harvey. I don't know who those guys are going to be. I don't know who's going to do it. I just know that the ball's going to be in the air and somebody's going to have to catch it. How many wide receivers did you say on the roster? 26. It's got to be an all-time record at Mississippi State. Well, yeah, because, well, four of them should have tied in by their name, but yeah. Okay, if it was 22. It'd still be a lot, yeah. I think it still would maybe be an all-time record. Yeah. 80 through 89 are all wide receivers, and then there's a bunch of you know 20s and, and some single-digit guys, including Javante Payton, who's zero this year for State. The number zero. Yeah. Eh, it's hard to get used to on a football field. Yeah. Well, if the right, roster so- sizes are going to be what they're going to be next year, we're going to need number 100 and 105 and 110. Mm. All right. Defensive side. It's the biggest weakness defensively. Secondary. It's not really even close. Uh, I mean, and, and across the board, I mean, we're talking corners and safeties, like the whole nickel package. I like some of their safeties. I think Marcus Murphy might be the second best defensive player on the team. Okay. Uh, they've got they've got some guys there. Uh, Fred Peters, I think, is a pretty decent player. But when you look at cornerback, you know, you lose Cam Dantzler to the NFL. Maurice Smitherman was a senior. Uh, Tyler Williams is opting out. Uh, I don't know if you guys covered that last week or not. We did uh, because of COVID concerns. Jerry and Jones obviously transferred out. We all saw that this summer. Martin Emerson's the only guy left that started a game. And so the other guy is either going to be Corey Charles, who's a I think is a redshirt senior who's never started for Mississippi State. 
uh, or it's going to be you know maybe a true freshman like Emmanuel Forbes, who was one of the state's top ranked players last year, or DeCamrian Richardson from uh, Louisiana. State does not have any real proven depth at cornerback. Could be Asias Furch, who's a, a redshirt uh, sophomore, I believe, but he's another guy who hasn't played very much. So, you know, Emerson, I like. I think he's a talented guy, but I mean, you're 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 gonna lean on him and say, okay, you're covering Jerry or not Jerry Judy, but Devontae uh, Smith and Jamar Chase this year. Good luck. That's 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 the task he has in front of him. Yeah. Uh, question for you. Hey, Dad, on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We'll take a look at this roster for Mississippi State. Uh, this one comes from Quinn. You were gone at a curious time. Were you working as a pool boy at the Fountain Blue in South Florida while you were away? I have no comment. Uh, my, my legal counsel has told me to where they let them handle that kind of stuff. I'm kidding. That, that was from Quinn, and that was yeah. pretty funny. You responded no comment. He said, "Ah, taking the fifth. And I said, "Well, pool boy didn't exact a uh, pool boy didn't exactly take the fifth. I could make a joke, but I won't." Yeah. Do you yeah. see Jerry uh, after he finally resigned when he didn't resign last night? Uh, quoted mm-hmm. Martin Luther King to the media. Junior. That, yeah. Free at last is what he said. Yes. Yes. Uh, very, very uncomfortable. That's no very cringeworthy. Very on top of all the other bad looks, one more bad on look top? on the way out the door. On top of what? I said all the other bad oh, looks. I started start on top. and I just... uh, Well, he was in the, in the corner. Of the hey, room. stop, stop, stop. Nobody puts Jerry Jr. in a corner. <laughs> well, except for... He does it to Easy. himself. <laughs> <laughs> so those linebackers, huh? They're pretty good. Yeah, they are. Harold Thompson, man, came from. Right, so I ask you, I ask you, biggest weakness, biggest strength on Mississippi State's defense. That's that's a really good question because thanks. They've got they've got some talented guys there. Errol Thompson, we all know what what he's going to bring to the table. Nathan Pickering was one of the top freshmen in the, in the conference last year. Uh, Kobe Jones and Marquise Spencer have played a lot of games for Mississippi State. Um, I thought Jaden Crumity was, was good as a freshman last year uh, as well. But at linebacker, I mean, they got some question marks there. You know, they, 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 you know, you lose Willie Gay, you lose Leo Lewis, guys who had started a bunch of games for you, very talented guys. And you also not last year, but yes. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and Willie Gay, he was in the four games he played, he was state's best defensive player for the season. Um, True. So you know, you're, you're relying on maybe a JUCO guy like Jordan Davis, who was a really highly ranked guy uh, to play one of those outside spots. Maybe Tyrus Wheat from Colin. Uh, you know, Trey Lawson from uh, from Mississippi Gulf Coast, so some JUCO guys are going to be trying to step in. Uh, you've got Aaron Brule and, and Nate Watson, who they call uh, Bookie, I believe. Um, not not that he's involved in illegal gambling. Let's make that clear from the uh, from the start. Um, and then you know, on the defensive ends, I mean, you, he you know, he says you've got a lot of guys there. I, I, I'm not seeing that. You know, you've got Spencer and Jones, but beyond that, I mean, Aaron Odom is a guy who hasn't played very much. Um, I mean, just. There's just not a lot of, of proven depth there uh, on the defensive line. Fabian Lovett was was a big loss. He's a guy who you know gave you some flexibility because he could have been that backup tackle and let Crumity play out there on the end in this three. Do you think Lovett and Jones both would have been starters? Jones would have started for sure, I think, and Lovett would have. I don't think Lovett would have started over Pickering, but he would have he would have played a lot. Yeah, the the off season for various reasons. Some of which are beyond anybody's control, has not been kind on the defensive side of Mississippi State. 
No. I mean, offensively, they picked up some, some key transfers, like we said, with Lashley, with Shavers, and obviously Costello. But on the defensive side of the ball, that yeah, they, losing Willie Gay to the NFL draft, I don't, I don't know they were expecting him to go as a junior. Um, and they obviously made the right choice because he got second round. He was a second round pick, uh, yeah. and then the transfers of of, John, of Jones and Lovett. I mean, yeah, State, State took some some big hits at some positions they didn't have a ton a ton of depth at. I mean, if you told me that State's linebacking core was Willie Gay and Errol Thompson, I mean, I don't really care who the third guy is. That's probably the best, might be one of the best cores in the country. Uh, but you know, with Jess Thompson coming back, you know, you, you got some question marks there. Are they going to be able to stop anybody on defense? <laughs> They're going to try. Uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be very aggressive. It's kind of like my answer yesterday for the Rebels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll be aggressive. You know, Zach Arnett is a guy who likes to get after the quarterback. But, man, if you can't cover, that's going to be a problem. I, I think State's going to make up for its lack of coverage by trying to be really, really aggressive and get after the quarterback. Um, you know, I feel good about them against the run. I feel like they've got some guys who can do that. But against the pass, it, it's, it's going to be a struggle, especially early in the season while the, the young corners get their feet underneath them. That has kind of a Jolie Dunn feel to it, doesn't it? It does, but there's no. But Fred Smoot and Robert Bean aren't walking through that door. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll let you hear more of what Mike Leach had to say when we come back. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Tuesday afternoon, 25th of August. You know what tomorrow is? It's one month until the first game. That a boy. First game I thought you were going to be I thought you were going to be real a, a really smarty pants and say the 26th of August. I, I knew what it was. All I needed was for you to play into that little smarty pants thing so that I could uh Yes, it is the 26th of August, which marks one month from the kickoff of SEC football. Mississippi State starting things out on the road in Baton Rouge. Ole Miss starting at home against Florida. They'll flip-flop the following week with Mississippi State hosting Arkansas and Ole Miss going to Kentucky. Do they alternate home and away? Uh, not all the way. Yeah, because I know there's there's a week where state there's a two game stretch where states at home and then a two game yeah. stretch where states on the road. So, yeah. no. Ole Miss is the only team on the schedule that alternates all season. Really? Yep. Hmm. Weird little quirk there, but yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, first four weeks of the season, Ole Miss and Mississippi State opposite each other. If State is on the road, Ole Miss is at home, and vice versa. And then things get off kilter when Mississippi State has its open date in week five, and Ole Miss hosts Auburn, both on the road in week six, State at home, Ole Miss off in week seven, both at home week uh, Yeah, anyway, whatever. Not that that really matters. Just curious. As long as those games get played. Yes, I agree with that. And you can't play them all if you don't play the one on September 26th. Well, you could. You could play that one on December 12th. You technically could do it. But let's not can't go through play all a, that. You can't play them all if you don't play the first, the first one. There you go. Whenever it may be on the old calendar. 
We didn't talk special teams at Ole Miss yesterday. I am curious. Is there anything that stands out to you in terms of special teams for Mississippi State? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, Jace Christman and Tucker Day are back. You bring in Brandon Ruiz from Arizona State, another another transfer for the Bulldogs. State's got a lot of transfers on the roster. Um, I, I think he might be more of a kickoff guy and let Christman handle the the field goals and the extra points. Uh, and then in the return game, I'm interested, you know, State's return game has been sort of non-existent since Chad Bumpus and, 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 uh, and uh, Jonathan Banks left town. Um, I, I don't know who those guys are going to be. Does I know anybody Kyle have a return game anymore? It's like not really part of the game. Well, I mean, if I was the head coach of a football team, there would be no return game because I would tell them, like, kick the ball in the end zone every time. I'm not taking any chances. I'm not playing the, the – we could maybe catch them inside the 25 game. Just kick it out of the end zone and don't allow for returns. Uh, but that said, I know Kylan Hill said he's been returning some kicks. I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of that. But at the same time, if he's only going to be carrying the ball 15 times a game, you want to get him more, you know, more touches, that might be a good way to do it. I think Javante yeah, I, Payton will be in the return game and then maybe a true freshman like Tulu Griffin. I, I think I meant more punt return than anything else because almost everybody rugby punts, unless you've yeah. got a guy that can kick it six miles, and even yeah. some of those guys are rugby punting. But the whole thing is desert, designed to eliminate the return game in the punt game. And by and large, it has worked. Kickoff's a little bit different, though. But you can really help yourself out. Although there are a lot of people, I mean, on our radio broadcasts, I mean, Harry Harrison is of the mindset, why are you bringing it out? If you can start every single drive on the 25-yard line, just do it. I would love to see a stat of how many drives where they they returned the kick and didn't get it to the 25. And, I mean, how much loss... The term hidden yardage, that's that's a lot of it. Guys, you know, get knocked down at the, the 19. If you do it three times, that's 18 yards of field position. You just, you've mm-hmm. given up. You know, just, just, if it's, if the ball is inside the 10, just call for the fair catch, take it at the 25 and go. Unless you feel, I mean, if you feel like you can return it, if, if you look up and you say, I got a seam there, go. Sure. I don't have a problem with that. But for the most part, I do. And then from the other side of it, if I'm the head coach, I am kicking it through the end zone every time. I'm just not ever going to take that chance of maybe we can pin them with a good – you can't. Just just kick it and start at the 25. How nice is this, by the way? Just yeah. football. Glorious. You know what? Jerry, I remember Jerry and Ely told me after one game last year, he's like, if I can't get it back out to the 25-yard line, then – I need to find something else to do anyway. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's that's one mentality. I love the confidence, but yeah, believe in yourself. You know, nobody sure. else will. Two hours in the books, fast couple of hours. Funny what happens when you get actual football stuff to talk about. Take a time out. College football fix just around the corner. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Tuesday. Afternoon, just after five o'clock, hour number three of Sports Talk Mississippi. Past couple of hours, glad to be with you. Brian Haydad, back from an unbelievable Vegas vacation. Oh man, don't I wish. Michael Borky returned last week from his Caribbean vacation. It's about everybody vacationing, buckling down, getting ready. The start of the college football season, which is now, depending on who you ask, right? I mean, for Southern Miss, it's nine days away. 
Mississippi State Ole Miss, rest of the SEC, it's what, 32 days? Is that right? That's 30 days, half September, April, June. Yeah, so 31 in August. We got six left to six and 26, 32 days. I believe that's correct. Quick math on the fly. 19 from the first NFL Sunday, too. Ooh. Like that. It is almost here. Almost here. And, guys, I can't help but feel more optimistic the closer we get. It's like the closer we get, the harder it is to shut it down without at least trying. Yeah. And national trends are are going in the right direction. As you guys talked about while I was gone, there was a new testing method that's cheaper and faster that got approved. Hopefully they can start using it soon because it'll be nationally distributed. Things are going well so far. I saw today... Distributed? Distributed. Um, Whatever. (laughs) I mean... Alternate pronunciation. Alternate pronunciation. Distribution. I mean, coming from you, of all people, who can't get your kids' names right, I get crap for alternate pronunciation. Not getting my kids' names right. Yeah, you say you mix their names up all the time. All the time. I pronounce them correctly, though. Yeah. Just well, don't whatever. call the right kid by the right name a lot of the time. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but you know you, you know how many people are in the group of me that do that when they have multiple kids? 100%. All of them. 100%. <laughs> Wait till you have a second kid. And, and Borky, not that I'm trying to put that evil on you today, but you'll do it. See, I have called my kid my dog's name and nickname, so I'm Dude, already there. Look, Can you man. believe this, Richard Cross? This man is yes. giving you guff about getting kids. He called him a dog's name, a dog, an animal. Yeah. I haven't called any of my children, you know, Samson, Baloo, or Seamus. I promise you that. Or well, Agamemnon, God rest his should have seen my wife's face when I said, Maverick, what are you doing talking to the kid? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm with you. I, I mean, we have three kids and three dogs. <laughs> it's it's a real thing. You know what else is a real thing? The college football fix right now. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Summer sales event going on. Great savings on the full lineup of Ford SUVs. You can test drive the Expedition, the Explorer, maybe the Edge at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So how about this story out of North Dakota? Man, this is something. USA Today, I think, was the first to go with it. North Dakota State has got a stud at quarterback, Trey Lance. And he is expected to be an NFL draft pick. The Missouri Valley Conference is not playing games this year. They've canceled their 2020 fall schedule due to the COVID pandemic. But North Dakota State, who plays in the Missouri Valley Conference, I I don't know. I I can't make it make sense. I don't think North Dakota is geographically part of the Missouri Valley, but who am I to judge? They're going to play one game. North Dakota State apparently wants to give Trey Lance their promising quarterback prospect one game to show off for NFL scouts this season. The Bison announced yesterday 
that they will play a single game on October 3rd against Central Arkansas. By the way, Central Arkansas kicking off the season this Saturday in Montgomery against Austin Peay. It's the FCS kickoff opener. Lance is widely regarded as a first-round talent for the 2021 NFL Draft. Coming off a redshirt season in which he threw for 28 touchdowns and zero interceptions. They also have an offensive tackle in Dylan Reduns, who is a potential first-round prospect. And this game will give him a similar opportunity to show off for pro scouts one more time before the pre-draft process begins. And it appears as if North Dakota State is going to allow NFL scouts to attend this game. That's according to NFL.com's Chase Goodbread. Um, I can't decide if this bothers me or not. The season doesn't count for anyone. And I'm assuming the Missouri Valley is going to at least attempt or float the idea of playing a spring season. I've not read specifically about that. But most conferences look like they're going to try and play something in the spring. Sounds like Trey Lance wouldn't be a part of that. Do you like this idea? Go play one game in early October... Because at a place like North Dakota State, your opportunities to showcase NFL caliber players are limited. Is this a good recruiting pitch? Is it a mistake? How does the rest of the team feel about it? Do they love the idea? Look, we may not get a season, but hey, at least we're getting a game. And we appreciate our head coach and the administration working to make this happen. Is it a slap in the face, though, because... It looks like they value one player over the rest. Can you sell this? Are you going to have a bunch of guys go, yeah, I'm not not going through all the work to get ready for a season to play one game? I have so many questions. What do you guys think? And all of them valid. I feel like... I don't hate the idea, by the way. I I can't decide really how I feel about it. If I'm the quarterback... I appreciate my school going to bat for me. You know, I I had one more chance to show NFL scouts that I'm good enough to play in their league, and that got taken away from me. Not playing in the spring, because I am not going to play a game in April when the Combine's in May. So that would be cool as a player to have my school have my back like that. And, And to have your teammates even, the ones that decide to play, if it's a few or if it's all of them, to say, hey man, we're going to play for you. That would be a really cool thing, and I'm sure you can use that in recruiting as if they have problems recruiting to that level anyway, but I think that's cool. But were you using those dates as an example? or, or... Just as an example. Okay, because Combine's usually, what, late February, and then the draft's in April. So, I mean, if Trey Lance is going to the NFL, he's out oh, yeah. in the spring, period. I have seen people suggest that if there was enough college football in the spring that the NFL would consider moving their combine. However, it certainly feels like... They're going to move it to after the draft? They're not going to move the draft. They would move the draft, even. I mean, that's that's something that they would look at. But if, hmm. if it really comes down to it, 
the guys that would play in the spring would choose not to play. I mean, that's what it would come down to. If you have a potential NFL future, you're not going to play in the spring no. at all. If you get any kind of grade, you're, you're not playing. So I think it's cool from that perspective. Uh, and I bet if I was on that team, I would want to play. I mean, everything has gone to crap, right? And who knows if I'm actually going to get to play in the spring because why Why is January any different than October? I mean, what's going to happen in that amount of time that would change so much? So if I get to play one game, you know, dang it, I'm going to go play one game. I think it's really cool. It sucks that it has to come to this, and I hate it for them. But having their kids back like this I think is pretty cool. The only what thing you think, I, I like I like the, the idea. I do. I would just be if I'm this kid, I would be so nervous that I'm gonna go out there and get hurt somehow. Because I mean, how prepared are you really gonna be? You know, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. This it would be a a really sad day for him to go out there and then oh I tore my ACL. And I know that can happen on any game, but if you're talking about a whole season, I feel like you know the the, the risk is 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 less. I feel like you feel like you're you're playing the whole season and, and we got hurt. That's fine. I'm playing in an exhibition because that's what this is. It's an exhibition game, yeah. and I got hurt and it cost me the season. That's a little tougher pill to swallow. Or cost me draft position. That's a little tougher pill to swallow. Brad Teague, I believe, is the athletic director still at UCA, and and they are they're working hard to get games for Central Arkansas. They've got 12, don't they? Is the schedule full? I think they filled up a schedule. It's pretty impressive. Army filled up a schedule, too, as an independent, which is awesome. There's three FCS teams on it, but they still did it. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, the more I think about it, I I think that I'm going to tip my cap to the folks at North Dakota State for pulling this off. Sports Talk Mississippi. Bob and Summit says it's already happened. COVID is going a second round on people that had it four months ago. How do we know it won't be worse in the spring? I hope it doesn't, but no one knows. Yeah, I agree, Bob. I offered a selection, a, a uh, suggestion earlier. And again, I'm sure there are medical people that would tell me I am a fool for this. Probably other reasons they would say that also. What if we just stop testing? If you're sick, you stay home. If you're not sick, you carry on normal life. Kind of a novel concept. Novel. Pardon the pun. Oh. Here, here's a headline for you. Mm-hmm. Tell it. From the New York Times. Oh, this will be good. COVID-19 live update. CDC changes testing guidance to exclude people without symptoms. Worrying experts. Does the CDC not qualify as experts on a disease? Only when they agree with the other experts. In the area of expertise. Expertly. I mean, I... <sighs> no, I mean, like, you know, how we deal with the flu and strep throat and stomach virus and other calamities that have been with us for a really long time. You know, when you get sick, you stay home until you're not sick anymore. And if you're not sick, you go to work. 
And if you're just mildly sick, you probably still go to work, unless you're one of those people who's looking for an excuse not to go to work. There's some logic in that, man. There's a lot COVID of it. Is, it's, it's, it's part of life now. We're going to eventually learn to live with it. Why not just go ahead and learn to live with it? I, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, really. Yes, COVID has caused people to die. Yes, it has caused people to be hospitalized. There have been serious respiratory issues that are associated with it. And, and some people have gone into the ICU. In the same way that some people have to go to the ICU when they have pneumonia. And some people who have adverse reactions to the flu have to go to the ICU. And I get that it's more contagious. I, again, I I don't know. Just, somebody says it'll all be over November 3rd. I mean, I get that. Oh, uh, here we go again with that. But what if the wrong guy wins? And I'm going to let you decide who the wrong guy is. I'm not going down that road. Whoever your guy is. What if Trump wins? I mean, everybody's assumption is it'll be over on November 3rd if Joe Biden wins. (sighs) Anyway. Somebody said you're spot on, Cross. I mean, seriously, what if we just stop testing? And if you get sick, then you stay home until you're not sick anymore. And then you go on about your business. And if you're not sick, you go to work, and you go to school, and you go to restaurants, and you go to stores, and you go to class. And I would say that you stop testing. If, I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, if you get sick, the first thing is you should be tested if it's, if it, to see if it's COVID or not. Because that might be a little more serious than just having a cold. But as the other stuff you're saying, I agree with. But yeah, so like it should be if you get sick, go get tested and then stay home because regardless of what you have, you need to stay home because you're sick. But sort of go from there. Mm -hmm. Walter says the president said stop testing months ago. He, he, yes, he did. This is a little different than what you're saying. He he went a different route though. He said the reason that the positivity rate is up is because we're testing more. Yeah, I mean, if we were testing less, there'd be less positive cases and people would be freaking out less. But everybody needs something to freak out about and something to complain about and something to be scared to death of. I do think the college student shaming side of this has been a little ridiculous. I mean, look, are they being irresponsible in doing, not doing what they've been asked to do? Sure. They shouldn't be going to parties because that defies a lot of local ordinances, including... Uh, directives from their school. However, when you brought 30,000 18 to 21 year old kids away from their parents back to a place where they have a lot of fun, what did you expect they were going to do? Blaming yeah. them for doing what they do is really dumb. I mean, if you if, No, but I guess my I guess my bigger point though, Borky, is what if we lifted all the ordinances too? What if we just said, "You know what? We're going back to life as it used to be." And if you're sick, stay home. And if you're well, go about your business. Yeah, there, there was the the cover of the, the student newspaper at Old Miss that talked Jeez. about people dying and stuff. Well, look, here's honestly, if you truly do feel like your presence there is going to lead to people dying, 
you do not need to be there. You should not be there. If you're liter- if you are that scared, if you think Ole Miss operating where the vast majority of classes are already online only, and if you do have to go to a classroom, they're doing a lot to try to keep you away from each other. If you truly feel like you're in danger for your life, you do not have to go. And I promise you, you could go to Ole Miss and say, I don't feel safe, and they will accommodate you with exclusively online early, uh, online learning. I mean, anywhere in the world. Wherever you want to go to be safe, they will accommodate you. I promise. You don't have to be there. That's the side that's ridiculous. It's, oh, they're killing people by opening up campus. Then don't be at campus. It's that simple. Nobody's making you go to school. I'm going to say something that is going to bother some people, and I don't give a flying flip who it bothers. As someone who holds a journalism degree from the University of Mississippi, the Daily Mississippian, the student uh, newspaper, is the single most embarrassing part of the university. It, It falls under the leadership of the Student Media Center, and there, you know, it's all about allowing students to learn how to work in real. Man, there are no standards. It is a, a, a mouthpiece for I. Uh, I don't want to go too far down that road, but it is an absolute embarrassment because th- there was a time where, in terms of a college newspaper. That was a really good one. Like, they did a good job with it. It was a good production. People read it and grabbed it, and stories were interesting, and they were well-researched and generally well-thought out. I mean, there were whatever. There were times where you'd find typos or copy editor missed something or whatever. Okay, that happens in the New York Times. They put apologies in every day. But as someone who has a journalism degree from Ole Miss, that is the single most embarrassing thing that regularly comes out of the university. And for my money, there's not a close second. Never mind. Uh, okay. Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. If you want to jump in, two games tonight in the NBA playoffs. Chance to close out a series. Utah up three games to one over Denver. And the Mavericks-Clippers series has been fun. Luca was great in overtime. We talked about that yesterday. It's two apiece. Hey, Dad is nodding because the Lakers will await Go, the winner of that series. Is that Go correct? Mavs. Uh, I don't. I, is that correct? I don't know if it is or not. I don't or is care. it farther down the line? Out. You Let's just want, want the, the Clippers, Clippers out, out. Period. Yeah. Well, brother needs to go. Um, <laughs> the little brother. The, I don't know. Uh, if the, I think the Lakers would prefer the Clippers over the Mavs at this point. That's crazy. That's kind of hot takey. But you know, you're not wrong. I'd much rather see uh, Paul George than Luca. Luca is crazy, crazy right now. So the bracket. Uh, oh wow! This next series for the Lakers is going to be fun, regardless of who wins. It's the winner it's of Rockets Houston Thunder, OKC. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Houston yeah. OKC, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that'll be fun. Milwaukee beat Orlando. They're up three games to one in the series. That was yesterday, 121-106, so Milwaukee can close it out. Oklahoma City and Houston tied at two apiece after Oklahoma City won by three yesterday. Miami 
closed out Indiana in non-competitive fashion. 99-87, won the series in four games, and the Lakers up three games to one. You want to talk about non-competitive. Woo! Lakers Trailblazers was over early last night. 135-115 was the final. Wasn't that close. And, and it wasn't that close. And, and Damian Lillard is out for game five, so that's over. That'll be a nice exhibition uh, to get minutes for players that you've never heard of. A lot of Quinn Cook. Yeah. Yeah, knee sprain for Damian Lillard will not play in game five against the Lakers tomorrow. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. Which is at Black Masses. Three baseball games going on right now. Well, kind of. Astros leading it over the Angels 6-3 in the seventh. Game one of a doubleheader there. Marlins and Mets are in a rain delay in the third inning. So the Mets return to action today, and then they get three innings in, and there's a rain delay in New York. Marlins, by the way, leading four-zip over the Mets. Supposed to be playing two today. Phillies and Nationals. Nats up one-zip in the second. Everybody is playing baseball today. And virtually every day for the remainder of the season. Red Sox-Blue Jays tonight in Buffalo. Home game for the Jays. Orioles are at the Rays. Yankees and Braves in Atlanta. Twins and Indians. Cubs and Tigers. A's and Rangers. Pirates and White Sox. Reds and Brewers. Royals and Cardinals. Mariners, Padres, Rockies and Diamondbacks. And... Out on the West Coast, a little bit of a late start tonight. FS1, Dodgers, Giants. Suddenly hot San Francisco Giants, who I believe would be in the playoffs today if this if the season ended. In 14 and 16 overall. Yeah, won six in a row. I don't know if you've looked at the uh, overall record yet. The Los Angeles Dodgers are 22 and 8. Yeah, they're pretty good. Pretty darn good. Correct Can't me if wait I'm to wrong. See. Can't wait to see how they figure out a way to blow it when the series comes around. What are we correcting, Borky? This is the first time every Major League Baseball team is in action. Ooh. I was thinking that we had that on one day last week also, when the Cardinals finally got back. But wasn't there another one? Maybe yeah, that cr- the, the Mets have to cancel or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the entire series between the Mets away. and the Yankees, but it would have been earlier in the week last week. Okay. Or maybe the end of the previous week. You may be right, but we got everybody playing today. And that's all that matters. Raisley, the Yankees in the East. And that's partly because the Yankees just had their series with the Mets banged because of COVID. Jays are in third place. Red Sox are 9-20. and 20. Twins lead the Central Division by 2.5 over the Indians and the White Sox. A's continue to play good baseball out west in the American League. They are 20-10, and 10, three games in front of the Houston Astros. Then you got the Rangers eight back. There's a story from Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic that points out that the Rangers potentially willing to shop Lance Lynn. He was their opening day starter and has been pretty good this year. National League, Braves 
one game ahead in the loss column over the Marlins. Braves have played 28 games. Marlins have played 23. Then it's the Mets and the Nats and the Phillies. Whole division only separated by four games right now. Cubs, two ahead in the loss column of the Cardinals. Difference is Cubs have played 28 and the Cardinals have played 18. And then out west, I mean, the Dodgers really playing good baseball, 22-8. and eight. Maybe the most fun team in Major League Baseball right now, San Diego Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the guy that's kind of gotten the headlines and leads the way. That's a good baseball team, and they are a fun baseball team, and they can hit. Just, just one more time real quick. What was that Red Sox record? Just for good measure? Yeah, why not? 9-20? and 20? Yeah, I actually have no connection there, but I just don't like the Red Sox. So. Hey, I don't have you to sell and I you found that, common I ground. I didn't have to sell you very hard on that, no. I think no. it goes back to fever pitch. I just the whole thing where they like they won the World Series and Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore were filming them. I, God, that is the most. I would I would have not been happy if that was a Giants thing. So, did we talk about how the Red Sox thought they would be able to let Mookie Betts go somewhere else and then magically and then re-sign, re-sign him? Yeah, happens all the time. Break up with a girl, she comes crawling back. Fernando Tatis Jr. I mentioned him a second ago. He has played in all 30 games for San Diego. He leads the team in batting average, hitting 314. He has the best OPS on the team, 1.073. Has the best war, wins against replacement on the team at 2.1. Five doubles, 12 home runs. Leads the club in home runs. Has driven in 29, leads the club in that category as well. Six stolen bases, that's tied for the team lead. He's doing it all and is a star in the making in Major League Baseball. And he's fun, too. Yeah. And he still shouldn't have apologized for hitting the Grand Slam. No. And the unwritten rules and whatnot. They've got a new nickname out there. Did you see that? Uh, no. Slam Diego. Because they hit what a Grand Slam in four consecutive games, right? Yeah. Yeah, they did. So now they're Slam Diego. And the best part about the Slam Diego Grand Slam streak was Tatis hits one, and that's the one where there are unwritten rules and whatnot. And then Will Myers hits one in the first inning of the very next game against the same team. Spectacular. Major League Baseball keeps on plugging. And it hasn't been pretty, and it's been bumpy, and it's been rocky, and there have been cancellations, and we've got a gazillion doubleheaders that are going to be seven-inning doubleheaders, and I know we're putting a base runner on second in the tenth inning to kind of move things along, but they just keep on plugging, and I hope... That is the mantra that we will adopt for this college football season. Let's get to the starting line, and let's get started, and then let's do our best to just keep on plugging. It's okay if it's a little rocky. It's okay if it's a little bumpy. It's okay if we have to have a couple of postponements and figure things out at the back end of the schedule. It's okay 
if we don't play 10 games? If we only end up with eight games? It's not ideal, but it's okay. And I think it's going to be healthy for sports in the United States. It's going to be healthy for the programs that play. It's going to be healthy for those of us that work in sports. It's going to be healthy for those of us that are just fans that need a diversion, that need some fun news, some good news, something to complain about besides testing and COVID. We need to be able to complain about play calling on Monday and you know whether or not you should have run or passed on third and short. That debate could very well be live and well in the state of Mississippi in a month. What was he doing? I know they throw it all the time, but it was third and half a yard. Give it to Kylan Hill. Let him get a first down. We're going to be having that debate, by the way. We will welcome that Monday morning quarterbacking. I guarantee that question will be asked. And the answer is one answer. It's a quick. There's there's no analysis. It's that's Mike what Leach. you hired. Yeah. That's Mike Leach. But as I have said since January, I think the way I described it in January was the guy that's sitting in section D on row seven that's going to stand up and throw his arms out to the side. He's going to be like, "What are you doing? Run the ball!" There may not be sitting anybody sitting in row seven of section D. That may be part of like the socially distant space until that's open. It's still going to happen. It's going to happen in front of televisions, on back porches, and in front yards, and in living rooms, and at duck camps and dove hunts and everybody everything else. There's going to be a third and one, and you know Kylan Hill is the running back, and you feel 100% confident that he can go get you a yard to move the chains, and K.J. Costello is going to catch that snap, and he's going to look right, and he's going to look left, and he's going to let it fly, and he's going to bounce off a receiver's hands. And you're going to get, why aren't you running the ball? <laughs> and we will all be here for it and can't wait. I, I am. My, my, my Twitter mentions are going to light up, and I, I, I'm looking forward to it, to be totally honest with you. It's going to be just like a certain Super Bowl where a certain team from the Pacific Northwest decided not to use Marshawn Lynch and instead threw an interception, and Tom Brady won his fifth Super Bowl. Wasn't that number five? text line. Is it okay if there's an asterisk out by the champion team? And apparently Kirk Herbstreet suggested that idea. Yes, you can put an asterisk, you can use a highlighter, you can get a sharpie and multicolors and circle it. You can do what you can you can create a record book that exists only for 2020. There is an argument to be made that winning a championship in this year's environment is actually a little more impressive than what has been done in some years gone by. I don't care what you do or how you view it, let's just play the games. And I'm more and more confident every day that that's going to happen. And for that, we all say... A Super Talk Mississippi media production.